host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me for a Friday show to end another week here at the PDO cast is my good pal, Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Not much, not much. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to doing this, and uh, it's going to be a good weekend after this, and as long as uh, none of your listeners or mailbag users or whatever asks us to do math, I'll be happy. So that's the <laughs> I, I, I can't promise you there will be no math, but uh, I, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. It's been a hectic week, week for me. Um, I've been knee-deep in Jacob Chikrin prep in mm-hmm. advance, so... I feel like I'm I'm just being held hostage at this point, waiting, just refreshing my Twitter feed every single waking yeah, minute, yeah. an hour, waiting for this trade ever since last Saturday, and it's crazy that it's already been a week now. It's it's almost getting like dangerously close to kind of becoming that like sitcom character that's constantly referenced by the other characters on screen, but never actually makes an appearance themselves. It's like everyone just like talking about this this Jacob Chikrin trade. It's kind of like, hanging over us. Like the boogeyman, but uh, it still hasn't still hasn't shown its face yet. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe as I say this, maybe um, maybe it'll come through over the weekend. Maybe, but maybe you know. like a maybe like mid show here, like that would be something, right? That'd be good. That'd be good. That'd be good. A lot of live, live experience. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see about that. But I um, that, that that's kind of been the the majority of my work. But it's been a, it's been a fun week here. The PDS. Okay, let's get into some. Uh, I got a list of topics here. That I want us to to hit on. So I think we should start the show by talking about this developing story with Bally Sports okay. and the yeah. Diamond Sports Group. And yep. I'm not sure if you've been able to do any reporting on that in terms of like reaching out to people behind the scenes, uh, and I, getting a better sense of it. But I'm kind of curious your take on it. Yeah, I've I've done a little bit. Um, not um. To the, I haven't written anything on it. I actually had someone ask me if I could write something about it for the Substack, and I actually told them that I would probably do something on Monday for it after I do a little bit more reporting. So anything we talk about right now, and I'm happy to talk about it right now, is is subject to change. Is subject to change, but there's definitely I've definitely I had a couple calls of people about it, um, and it's uh, it's definitely um, the most important thing to get out of the way for everyone is if you are a um if you are a hockey fan in the United States and in one of those markets it's not going to change anything this season um it's not changing anything this season at all that's that's just the for this for the simple anyone who's got the oh no will I not will they not air the games anymore um that's not going to happen. So is, is um, that is that because most of the rights fees have already been paid for the season? Well, if uh, it's partially partially that, but the other big thing is, um, if the if the teams stop airing games, the rights fees are basically what that entire company is based off of. And so, if they stopped airing games, they would not have a company to come out of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be showing any. They wouldn't be able to really, and I don't know the exact legal term, but they wouldn't be able to like in good faith claim bankruptcy if they're like we're just basically just closing our company down. And the up and there's also there's also a couple caveats here to this where if they want to get out of this and kind of the the long term play seems like 
They're trying to basically turn that debt into equity where they're trying to find someone who another billionaire company to, to buy them and take them and take the debt and just make it equity. That company is going to those contracts are the most valuable thing they have because those are cost controlled things, even though they're, they're million dollar expenses. There's something that the teams are stuck in. How many times do we hear about teams being frustrated? And I hear it all the time where teams are frustrated because they can't control their game their game, Sarah, because they sold the rights. And so teams actually, there's there's a couple, there's not all the teams, but there's some teams that would actually be thrilled if they went to the bankruptcy and didn't air games because all of a sudden that would void the contract and the team would be able to then try to sell to someone else. So it's really the only leverage they still have is to keep airing games. So they're going to keep airing games. Um, and so that is not a, that's not a concern for you as a consumer and a hockey fan right now. The bigger question, and this is the, the 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 millions of dollars of questions, is what's the long term play? How does it work? And re in reality, what does this start to do to hockey related revenue? Because we're in a spot where we always hear about like, oh, hardly our game's never been healthier, our players have never been better, yada yada yada. But you lose if you've got thirteen NHL teams on these valley deals, right? And the average RSN deal. In the United States is about roughly twenty five million per season. Yeah. Um, what uh, you're, you're talking about a good chunk of change. And I'm not going to do that math. Uh, <laughs> trying to trap me here. This was this was uh, so sneaky <laughs> by you. Uh, but you're talking about thirteen teams that on average. I think it's twelve, right? Um, hold on. It may be twelve. I believe. I mean, it's it's all. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Okay, it's twelve. It. It's a dozen or thirteen. Yeah, right. it's, it's either twelve or thirteen. Yeah. Um, the uh, but the, the basically, you're talking about twelve times twenty five million dollars, and that's a significant chunk of change. That's a significant impact on hockey related revenue. And what will the uh, and how and how will that impact in the long term is really going to be interesting. And the long term model is something that's going to be very interesting because it's not just a hockey issue. It's yeah. these networks are. These sports and RSNs and teams have gotten so intertwined where it's like, um, and I, I don't know if this is the, if they, if this is how it's being aired in Canada or not, but like MLS, right? So MLS just did the big deal where they basically cut off, they, 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 they went league wide. They didn't allow teams to make RSN deals past 2022. And then they inked one big deal with Apple TV where they have the no blackout package where everyone gets it. And the reason MLS was able to do that was because, A, it's a newer league and their media rights aren't as big as the other leagues. Um, and uh, so it's not as, while like you look at what the MLS did and the MLS package, all of a sudden, I, I mean, MLS packages were exactly what every other sports fan is asking for. Okay, I want to pay X amount of dollars per month and I get every single game, no blackouts. That's what the MLS is giving people. The issue is, in NHL, it's not just figuring out for these, the dozen or so Bally's NHL teams. It's also, you have, Bally's has deals with baseball teams. They have deals with basketball teams. It's just so, there's so much crossover and there's so much untangling that has to be done where one shoe drop leads to another. Like it's going to be a massive, un it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch as it untangles because somebody's going to make the move first to try to get their rights away. 
I, I just kind of my gut feelings is at some point, and it won't be hockey because hockey is never on the forefront. It'll probably be, it'll either be the NBA or it'll be baseball. It'll be either the NBA by like trying to be by advance or baseball as in, because baseball has already, baseball positioned themselves actually to better separate from RSNs. People don't realize this. Um, and, and it's more so because NHL teams gave all their digital rights to the uh, RSN. So all mm-hmm. of these, the baseball teams though, like so that Bally Sports package that you can in the United States where you can stream local games, it's 20 bucks a month. There's only four baseball teams that you can do on it because Major League Baseball refused to give, to freely give away these digital rights with it. Um, like some of the ones that actually have it, like are they're ones where the teams had to negotiate for more. So the untangling of all of this and, and what the future model looks like like, I think there's an idea. I think we know what it'll look like eventually, but I just think there's so many hurdles between for it to for it to actually happen before, like, I would love to tell you, next year you'll have a pack, you'll be able to build a package where you can get every game, you can get your in-market streaming, pay one thing. I just think there's too many legal hurdles and intricacies that need to be untangled for this to happen in a reasonable time. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack. I think yes, I should yes. have I should have teed this up better for the listener because I think sometimes <laughs> I make I, a problem with uh, with the PDO cast is I just assume that everyone listening is on the same <laughs> wavelength in terms of following this sport to a degree that I'd I'd describe fondly as as being a degenerate in terms of just we, the, yeah. my life, right? So I think some some listeners just are like, "What are these guys talking about?" So we should say we should yes, they skipped. $140 interest payment this that was due this week, right? And it seems like that has head, it entered them in this 30-day grace period. Mm-hmm. And it seems like ultimately they're headed towards bankruptcy. And I think this is one of the biggest and, and kind of strangest developing stories in sports right now, especially for NHL fans, because we had the NHL in this almost surreal tweet just be like, we are aware of the situation and we are monitoring it. And it was like a two sentence statement that they released from their official account that was like about as ominous as it gets, right? I, I, I and I talked to, uh, in my reporting, I talked to one of the executives who was part of the writing of that tweet and the fact that their multiple executives had to be on, on it's like, uh, I want to say this as kindly as possible, but like the, the fact that multiple people were on board to write that tweet is just a, it's yeah, one of the most NHL things ever. <laughs> really, really, really put their uh, combined brain power together to to write that one up. Yeah, yeah. So it, it remains unclear um, what the what the impact is here from like a, a mm-hmm. hockey related revenue perspective. I don't know if we have any any if you have any details on this. I believe like for the NBA, for example, about fifteen percent of their revenue is tied to uh, the RSN deals that they have. Yeah, it's 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 not that much from on a national standpoint. It's um, and I can get the better answer for this because I once had um, because like for, I, for for the NHL still yeah. like it, it, they're much yeah. more dependent on gate revenue, right? Yeah, it's they they still are. It's still a gate league. Um, for example, I'm pulling something up right now. So they're forty. I, I had a. And this is from I, I have a dated document, the ones that it was shared with me by an NHL executive, where it was um, basically their rough breakdown was, and this is a team that was making twenty five million on their RSN. Um, 
they would he and so of their their team revenue of their of their quote unquote controllable revenues things that they controlled that weren't from the league um rsn was 25 million it was about 48 million dollars a year in ticket sales uh 25 million dollars in premium and that's kind of how like they did like combination suites like areas stuff like that and then 30 million in like partnerships and so you're looking at about 25 million out of 130 million for an individual team <laughs> um is it, it's it's not the 15 percent it is for the nba yeah. and that's and the nhl also has the the other thing about it too is the nhl doesn't have the uh, they don't they don't rely as much on the rsn because the nba has only one team outside the united states right and so it's there there there's the there's a little bit more of the the rsn power in the nba because other, every team other than toronto has a american rsn device and so, so th- th- that comes into play too so i had a um a very smart person reach out to me the other day when this was kind of breaking yeah and they brought up um this kind of question of like what legal rights are in play here from from like a moving forward from a salary gap perspective right because i think for for a lot of people in the league and for fans i think part of the concern here is all right if there isn't money coming in we're all kind of working under this assumption that the cap is going to keep going up and in a pretty significant fashion over the next couple years and if all of a sudden that money dries up coming in and it prevents us from accomplishing that then all of a sudden my team's plans are going to be dashed right we're going to be restricted in terms of we've allocated or budgeted these like future expenses and all of a sudden that's not available to us so what does everyone do and the person kind of raised the question of like be very curious to look at the contract and the details in terms of like whether the nhlpa would have some sort of a legal argument to say that all right either the owners or the league should um should basically like cover the cost and honor the original broadcasting agreement to to make sure that there isn't a significant hit in terms of the hockey related revenue uh I don't think that is going to be the case because yeah. kind of looking looking a little bit through the through the CBA, it seems like the most likely thing like if we play this out and and say all right, like this is going to completely fall through, they're going to file for bankruptcy, there's going to like they're going to have to totally yeah. kind of revisit this entire operation. It seems like the NHL will just heading into next season probably go back to the drawing board or go back to the negotiating table in terms of like the rights revert to them and all of a sudden they can take them to another bidder. And I guess my question for you yeah. is, does this actually present a unique opportunity for them to finally explore pivoting to a different streaming model in terms of either Amazon or or, or whatever, what have you, that we've seen um, other leagues explore? Yeah, um, we, it would, and I think it would open up on the one hand, on just from the NHL, PA, NHL situation, there's really nothing in the CBA that gives the players much power on this at all, frankly. And it's the type of thing where 2025, 26, after the current CBA expires, that's something that the players want to discuss then. It'll be it's something that could come up. Um, now, what the PA's motivations are are going to be fascinating going forward anyway now with obviously new pa director and marty welsh and, and every, everything like that we have all this, this new stuff with the, the direction of the pa is we, we don't really know exactly where it's going i mean under the prior pa ownership um or leadership not ownership leadership um 
the NHL and get Gary Bettman basically just bullied. Yeah, Gary was like Gary negotiating with the PA was often like like how I negotiate with my kids, where it's like my kid is like my kid wants something. My kid is like, oh, I want the cookie, and I'd be like, oh, well, you gotta go brush your teeth. Oh, can I have two cookies? Oh, you gotta brush your teeth and you gotta clean your room. That's what Gary did with the Olympics. The Olympics were the cookie. Like, the players got all caught up in, like, can we go to the Olympics? Can we go to the Olympics? Can we go to the Olympics? And then, meanwhile, Gary's like, I don't know. And they'd be like, oh, well, you can have this. And that's how things work under the prior PA, uh, under the prior PA leadership. And so, well, hopefully, except, except for extending that analogy, yeah. except for if, if, if Gary Bedman is you and the kids are the NHL PA, he says, all right, you can have this cookie after you go brush your teeth. The players go brush their teeth, and then he's like, "Oh, well, you can't have a cookie now. It doesn't make sense. You just brush your teeth. You're ready." Like, makes exactly. sense. Why would you? Exactly. Why would you eat something? You just brush your teeth, and so exactly you exactly. the cookie. Exactly. Yes. So that's yes. That is so. Hopefully, from a PA standpoint and a player standpoint, this uh, the new leadership is uh, not as uh, led around by the NHL. Ben and Gary Bettman on this. So I, I I don't. It's it's one of those where like, would the players have a recourse on it? Even if they did, I just don't see them having enough of a... Players don't understand the business of the sport. That's one of the biggest issues. That's one of the biggest issues with hockey is players don't understand how the business works. Player, The amount of times I've asked a player, like because players talk about Esker all the time and everything like that, the amount of times I've asked players, and I always do this anonymously because I don't ever want to like, burn a guy, but like the amount of times I've asked players what escrow is, they have no idea. They just know it's a certain amount of money that doesn't go into their check. Like, very few players understand how the business works. And so if you asked a player, I wonder how many players even realize that this Bally thing is even happening. They're just, in, they're so into their hockey bubble. And um, obviously there's a, the PA is supposed to have concerns and they're supposed to fight for it. But when your contingency isn't vocally, like, battling for things, like the NBA Players Association... NBA players actually care about things more. Like they actually bring up business things and push as a union. It's why the NBA PA and same thing with the NFL PA. It's why they end up getting more done is because they're because their their group is more united and more individualistic and actually pushing for for things. The NHL PA as a group, the players are very they they don't they don't do that. And so when the leadership isn't getting the push from the players, it, it's it's a it's a really smart question the person sent you, but it's also, I, I don't see where you would take an entire like switch in how hockey works. I mean, um, it's just, but well, here, here's the thing, uh, Sean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. in 2023 with all the technological advances we have and how everything is just so yeah. accessible and available to you. Watching hockey has never been more difficult. And, and that's a, a stunning thing to see. I remember I think last time I had you on, we were talking about broadcast and stuff and how, yeah how they're falling behind other leaks, but that was purely from like a information being presented. And, and yeah, and, and in products. For me right now, like, yeah. so so in Canada, everything now is on Sportsnet now. Mm-hmm. The issue is like, you can't even pick which broadcast you used to be able to do, which was like a function on NHL TV previously, which was great because there's certainly, yeah. the quality of broadcast is, is wildly varying across the league. And especially for someone like myself who wants to be in tune with every team, it's good to be able to like watch a, a home broadcast for a team that I don't typically get to hear because you mm. get little anecdotes and nuggets that you might not otherwise get on the other team's broadcast. You go on ESPN Plus, all right, well, you don't get the TNT games. And then so it's like you're you're kind of yeah. jumping jumping from one thing to another. It's just like 
I just want every single game available to me one click away and let me pick the way I want to watch it. And I don't understand why this is still an issue in 2023. It seems like this should be very ironed out. It's like, it's almost like the league doesn't want you to, to actually watch its product. You know what I mean? It's like, give us your money, sign up for it. And then whatever happens after. And, and the reason why I say that is because like, for me, it's not ultimately, um, that big of a hurdle to cross because it's my job. So I will find a way to find whichever game I'm looking for eventually. But if you're a casual fan at home and you're presented with some sort of roadblock or obstacle to watch a game that you would have otherwise sat down and watched, you're probably not going to really pursue it beyond maybe trying one or two things. And then if it doesn't work, all right, I'll go watch an NBA game. I'll go watch something else. I'll I'll put on Netflix. Like, Well, yeah, that's prohibitive. You you hit the spot exactly on the point there where like I'm trying to... Uh, and I and I this I do this for a living, right? Like I'm watching the, uh, I'm trying to. My I'm I'm in the kitchen the other night and I'm got the TV in the other room and I'm getting some stuff done in the kitchen and trying to put the I think it was the New Jersey New Jersey St Louis game was supposed to be on ESPN two last night I think it was yeah and um I've got it on regular cable on ESPN but there's a women's college basketball day game before that goes to overtime right so it's like kind of delayed going in i'm like okay i want to turn the hockey game on so i use the little apple tv clicker and go and i leave the youtube tv app to go to the espn app but on the way i'm doing that like oh there's the netflix app there's the disney plus app there's the hbo app there's those other shows that i've been wanting to catch up on oh they're right there i could just get caught like easily right like it could just be easy to be like i could just I've been I've been meaning to watch the Last of Us show. Like I could easily just click on that right there instead of going because it's so I have to go from one place to another. I I think one of the things that from us as a sports fan and a consumer, um, as a movement, we all should watch more ML. And and and, and I'm and I'm not even saying this because I'm a soccer fan and I'm someone who for years didn't really watch the MLS, but all of us need to watch more MLS this summer because. People need to see that that model works. The MLS TV package on Apple, it's it's this Apple thing, right? Where you get every game, no blackouts, local, everything in one place. And there's every single team game will have one broadcast. And I was talking to a guy who's a play-by-play guy for, for an MLS team who's one of the radio guys. Every single broadcast will have the option of the national broadcast or either radio or, or either the homer. Every single... so. From a perspective of putting your money where your mouth is and getting something in a user interface that works, we should all watch way more MLS this summer just to like, just to basically make our point that hey, as sports fans, this is what we want. Instead of instead of trying to click around and watch Major League Baseball, that you have to go to Peacock, you have to go to MLB TV, you have to go to this, this, that, and the other. Just watch more MLS, and 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 it's just from a that is the model that hopefully someday we can get to. With these other sports, I, I I I want to be able to have this space where I can I can just watch hockey without having to jump from. And I'm someone who understands it better than most people. But for people who, it's the amount of people that are getting. Um, so uh, <laughs> I laughed about when uh, so Mickey Redmond, who's the uh, the color analyst for the Red Wings, um, so the uh, Ken his. Uh, uh, the play-by-play guy, uh, yeah, Ken Daniels. Daniels. Yeah, yeah, Ken Daniels was telling me how the uh, on the night when uh, uh, the Red Wings played like an ESPN Plus game, right? And uh, and someone from Mickey's demographic doesn't know how to get the game on ESPN Plus. So Ken literally just so Mickey just comes over to like Mickey's like 
their broadcast partners, they're supposed to have the night off because they the games have been taken by ESPN Plus, and Ken is still having Mickey over to watch the game because it's just easier for him to go to someone to go to the go to the other person's house than than try to get it all set up. Well, that just sounds like a couple buddies hanging out. That sounds pretty good to me. But it sounds it sounds like I, a good evening. I, I wish I take your point. I, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. For if if someone doesn't have a buddy like that, all of a sudden they have no yeah. other recourse for watching the game. They will just go to something else, and yeah. it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, it's another person bring up to me like on the one hand. There's so much room for growth because the league has fumbled the bag on so many like little things and big things, and it's accumulated over time that in theory, if you change your approach, the room for growth is like exponential because it's just like doing little things the right way will all of a sudden increase so much opportunity to bring in new fans. But the reason why it's so upsetting is because it seems like that day is not any any closer than it was last year, the year before, the year before. It seems like it's kind of the same things that we keep talking about all the time. It, it's it's like we're expecting something different or we're expecting change, but unfortunately, the NHL just keeps operating in the same sort of tunnel vision way. And so one day, I think there will be room for growth, but unfortunately, it seems like that is as far away as, as it ever was. It, it, it just goes down to further, too, where it's, it just keeps going to, you try to... Like you should have jumped the stuff they're doing with streaming and, and everything like that and figuring out the messing around with it and stuff like that. Like that's stuff you should have done years ago, right? Like now like that's that's the thing where you figure it out years ago and, and now you're in this spot where you're you're catching the middle audience, right? You're catching the people in in our demographic. You're catching the people who are still grew up with hockey, can't live without it, will go, will jump through hurdles to watch it. But you're losing the older people who are, you're losing the older people who are like, I just want to be able to watch the game on TV and I'm going to, I now can't just watch it on TV. And you're losing, and you're not, and you're not reaching out to a younger generation where, like, I saw a stat today where it's like something like, I, I don't even know what the new generation name is, but like current teenagers, like only like 15% actually watch sports, the study showed or something like that. And, you're not reaching out to that generation that is so used to having everything in a spot where you get your TikTok highlight on your phone and you know what you should be able, like they can't watch the game on their phone right like it's just, it, there's it's like you're you're missing both ends of the spectrum if it, it would have been if you're going to like ah we're just going to basically stick with the old school way or like they just they found the weird mushy middle that doesn't work either i mean do you think the league is unaware or or, or do you think they they know and they don't care, or do you think they're just kind of trying to save face because they don't know any better? Because you you reach this, and it's kind of unrelated to the broadcast, I guess, but it's just along the lines of like the hilarity of of what's going on sort of behind the scenes. So a quote on January twenty fourth of this year from Gary Bettman is: "NHL teams don't try to tank to win the draft lottery." <laughs> and then yeah. February fifteenth, twenty twenty three, so less than a month later. You have Clayton Keller after a game saying, like, uh, at, when yeah. asked why they haven't, this yeah. seven game unbeaten yeah. streak or yeah. Seven, yeah. seven games where they have a point in, it's like, oh, we got a good burst of energy over the break. I'm sure our GM's not too happy about it. Yeah. And yeah. Me- meanwhile, you've got Jacob Chikrin and Vladislav Gavrikov being basically put on ice about a month ahead of the trade deadline. And, and we started the show talking about Chikrin. Like, I understand from, from a, a, 
you know, protecting your investment perspective, a guy who's had various injuries over the years, and especially at that position where he's kind of more in the line of fire of potentially blocking a shot that could break a bone or, or he could get hurt and he plays a very physical game. I understand all of that, but it's like we're a month out and you're telling a 24-year-old who's a good player to basically just hang out in the press box and watch the team play while they try to figure it out. And not that I think that's preventing any Coyotes fans who otherwise would have tuned in to be like, oh, Jacob Chickman's not playing today. I'm not going to, I'm going to skip this game. But it's just like, it's so, it's so bizarre and backwards in the grand scheme of things of like, this is an entertainment product where you watch professional athletes who are the best at their sport do that exact thing. And instead you're just not getting to actually see that or, or it's not happening for reasons that have nothing to do with them being able to be out on the ice. I, I just thought of a wonderful like thing that this is this is entertainment product and this is content and this is stuff that the NHL will never do because they would it would be too self aware and too much making fun of themselves. But like Jacob Chitrin should just like enroll and like like go undercover as like a transfer student at Arizona State right now and just like follow him around, have him like like that that should be the thing right now. Just like you know what like. I'm a transfer student. I'm here for a couple of weeks. Like that would be just, I, I, that would be the content in the programming. I would love. Well, he's, <laughs> got a, he's got a lot of free time. I think he can yeah. certainly, he can certainly yeah. portion yeah. at least a couple hours out of his day to do so. So yeah. he's not playing hockey right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, Sean, let's, uh, let's take our break here. And then I uh, will come back. We'll finish, we'll finish the week strong with, uh, with another yeah. segment here on the hockey PDO cast streaming as always on the Sportsnet radio network. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. PDO cast of Sean Shapiro. Sean, let's talk a little bit about Dallas Stars, your former um, place of work, I guess, as a beat writer where where you were yeah. the team uh, very gloriously for a while. It's where we first um, kind of connected and we used to do Dallas Stars deep dives and you still are, um, while you're still not covering the team on a day-to-day basis, you do write about them occasionally and you still have, um, you know, sources and people that were in the loop with the organization and all that. So, I want to talk about a bit about the stars with you because I think they're quietly building the case to be one of the most interesting teams to follow down the stretch run, uh, particularly, I guess, starting with the trade deadline in terms of how aggressively they yeah. move, what they try to do, what their motivations are, what they're trying to accomplish this season, because they're in this like very, very fascinating situation where I did an Oilers uh, conversation yesterday with Daniel Nugent Bowman where we were talking about like whether they should go out and get Carlson, why they'd be motivated to do so. And part of the logic is the West is as wide open as it's ever going to be, right? And you look right now, the top six teams in the league, sorted by point percentage, are all out East. Yeah. Dallas Stars are the number one team in the West right now, just ahead of the Golden Knights. And they're the seventh best team in the league, which is fine. It's just great for them, right? Because it presents yeah. an opening. It's, it's, an, it's an area of opportunity where they can make a real run here and potentially be the class of the West if they really load up at the trade deadline. And I know they're already down their first round pick in this coming year coming yeah. draft because of the Niels Lundqvist trade. I believe they've already moved their 2023 third as well. Um, but there are, for as good of a team as they are, 
I think they're in a unique buying opportunity because there's clear weaknesses or areas where they could have significant improvement. And I think they should have the motivation to do so. And I think they have the resources, right? Like, yeah, they've drafted very well over the past couple of years. Not that they would really be moving any of their top prospects that they've accumulated in, in a lot of these theoretical trades, but with the depth of their prospect pool, they have interesting assets they could part with. They have the picks. And they can make the money work as well, right? Like they could very easily attach Anton Hudobin's whatever 2.5 million, yeah. whatever's buried in the AHL right now and clear up some more uh, flexibility that way. So I'm, I'm kind of curious for your take on what sense you get from what the next couple of weeks are going to look like, how motivated they're going to be at the trade deadline and sort of what the actual ceiling is for this team uh, the rest of the way. So I, I hope, here's, I, I, I hope that, the motive from the stars is because um, different GMs have different jobs, right? Like we, we've, I think we've talked about this on this show before, or you and I at least have talked about this, where a GM's job is to win the Stanley Cup, but a GM's job is also to follow the directive of his owner. And I, I hope that from a stars perspective for a team that could be really interesting, I hope the directive from Tom Gillardi comes down of let's championships hang forever. The West is wide open. Let's go get it. That's what I just, that's what I hope the directive comes down in Dallas because that's the space where you can do things where, like, we talk about Jacob Chikrin. Chikrin would be great in Dallas. Like, that would be, that would be the one where if you could, if, if you're the stars, if you could all of a sudden actually get another, an actual, <laughs> real viable, consistent top pairing defender, like Colin Miller's playing above and beyond what he really is right now. Like, that Colin Miller playing with Miro Hitchkin. Good for Colin Miller with what he's doing right now, but I Colin Miller is not the top pairing guy on a team that wins the cup. Jacob Chitron is the guy who, who who's that. And so hopefully from a Talis perspective, you have the the message comes from the top of let's go do this, let's win this thing, let's build and do it. And because I I would love to see that. The stars historically under Jim Nill have been a very, very patient team almost to a fault at times there's a there's a there's a there's a fun saying in stars fandom where you'll say like i like where our team is at because jim would often say that after a deadline where they didn't really do anything and uh jim is jim loves hoarding his picks the fact he traded a first round pick for nils lundquist tells you how much he believes nils lundquist but it also tells you how much more unlikely he is to trade another first round pick and so there is what I would love to see the stars do. And then there's what historically they've shown where Jim is going to be very, very patient, very like, I'm just going to sit at the edges, nibble at the edges, maybe at this, maybe at this. That's very underwhelming. And hopefully it's somewhere in the middle because that will at least be entertaining. Somewhere in the middle between those two will at least be entertaining for the rest of us. Well, here's the thing. Speaking about that ownership and motivation and, and, and sort of paying the price to try to achieve present day glory. Another team that Tom Gillardi owns is is the WHL, right? In yeah. Amos Blazers. And they are hosting the Memorial yep. Cup this year, right? Which I, I, I hopefully mm -hmm. plan to go to and it will be fun. Their best player also happens to be Dallas Stars top prospect, Logan Stankoven. And mm -hmm. at this year's CHL trade deadline, the, the Blazers went out and traded hand picks, including like what three or four first round picks to come uh, yeah. for Olin Zellweger, who's a top Ducks prospect, to help basically load up and and give them a better chance of of 
coming through and winning it all. And so, um, you know, not that that would necessarily be indicative of what they would, what the stars' motivations would be. Clearly, I think there's it's apples and oranges, but it's yeah. an interesting thing to consider here. I mean, the reason why the stars are so fascinating beyond being the best team in the West right now from a point percentage perspective is because if you look uh, a few layers deeper at like how they've accumulated those points, it's it's amazing. So here's some stats for you. They are seven. Four and eleven. They've lost eleven times in overtime right now. They're, they're seven, four, and eleven in one goal games. Only the San Jose Sharks have left more points on a percentage basis on the table in, yeah. in basically what we describe as coin flip games, right? Yeah. Um, nineteen of their thirty wins are by three or more goals, which is the most in the league. It's even more than the Boston Bruins have. So when they're winning, they're just absolutely doing so in a landslide. They're just steamrolling their opponents. And then they're losing all these coin flip games. And I think okay. statistically from what we know based on history, that's a good position to be in because if you're winning games decisively, that's generally a sign that you're pretty dominant. And if you're losing a bunch of games that are mostly luck driven, that'll eventually change. I don't think there's anything necessarily, uh, you know, innately flawed with this team where they just don't have what it takes to win these close games. Yeah. I think it's much more randomly, randomly assorted or I guess sequenced. And so if anything, I think their statistical profile would indicate that they could be even better uh, than they already have been from a points perspective. And so I think that would be very motivating to really make a push here and go for it. At the same time, though, you look and it feels very top-heavy right now, right? Like the top line has like a 70% goal share, 5-1-5. They're driving. Yeah. Uh, they're in the middle of the pack in terms of 5-1-5 five five offense as a team. They're like right behind the Oilers, I think, we're having a historically great power play in terms of power play efficiency. And... Pretty much all of that is because when they have Roberts and Hintz, Pavelski and 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 Heiskanen out there, they're just downright filthy and can't be stopped. And so and and Jake Ondra's having a phenomenal year as well. So I'm I'm very curious to see like how they go for. I think this is the time to do so because they have Roberts in at this like sweetheart deal where he's making seven yeah. seven five for the next couple of years. Jake Ottinger similarly, although we see like the the earning power for goalies is pretty limited. Four million for him for the next couple of years is still a massive steal. And they have a bunch of like, you know, poorly allocated money, let's say, coming off the books over the next couple of years and contracts that they probably would like to shed. And so all of it'll work out from a timing perspective. When they have to pay their best players, they'll be able to do so. But they don't really have any other financial decisions right now either, right? Like Ty Delandrio will have a nice little pay raise, I guess, as an RFA this summer, but Hints has already been extended and, and his raise will kick in. They don't really have to like budget for any no. contracts coming down the pike next year. So I really, I think if they don't ambitiously go for it, I, I think it's a big mistake. And I don't know if they have the appetite to be in the Jacob Children or even the Timo Meyer sweepstakes and, and what that would kind of yeah. require. Um, but I think this is a team that should be thinking that way, not all right, let's add a third pairing defenseman and a fourth line center because ultimately, or even like the conversations about Patrick Kane or trying to find someone to play with Tyler Sagan, like I'm I'm dubious how much that addresses what the team's flaws actually are, which are which are limited. Like there's a lot to build. There's a lot yeah. of good stuff here, right? It's But when you're nitpicking yeah. Stanley Cup contenders, you have to get serious about it. If I had told you uh, something, just such quick pause on all of this. If I had told you a year and a half ago that you'd be going into this at this point of the season saying the stars have no big financial decisions to talk about. Mm. And then you would have had realized that our poor, our poor, our poor boy, Dennis Skurionov is no yeah. longer 
Like, wow. like it's it's a it, like it's it's sad that that is the reality of it. But th this was supposed to be a big financial year for someone, but yes. unfortunately, our our our, uh, our 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 beatboxing hundred mile an hour shooting speedy winger is. Uh, well, he's much more likely to be attached as as <laughs> making making the money work in a trade than yes to their into the exactly decision. yes. I mean, you brought up yeah. you brought up Chikrin there. Yeah, um, yeah, man, it is. I'm sure stars fans have to deal with this reality on a day to day basis, and and they're aware of it. But the fact that they gave Ryan Suter that no move clause oh, is yeah is so restrictive because if you could make deal work around getting Ryan Suter's money off the team basically and attaching yeah. as many futures as you want to it and replacing his minutes with Jacob Chikrin oh, I would feel very good about this yeah. team being definitively the best team in the West and you know it it is what it is at this point but like just thinking about Chikrin on this Stars team where all of a sudden you can play him with like Niels Lundqvist for, or something that you want to find yeah. on five, but then you have this like breaking break in case of emergency option where you just load up him and Heiskin in on on a two yeah. on pair if you really need to go for it in high leverage moments. It'd be so intriguing. Instead, you're left with a situation where the reason why I brought up the power play splits is when their top players are out there, the top unit, they're like every bit as good as the, as the Edmonton Oilers who are historically great power play, but then they're giving two power play minutes a game or so to Ryan Suter for backing their second unit. And it's just like, I do not, I, I really do not understand what is going on here. Like, I, I, it, it's it's baffling to me. For a team that generally makes pretty smart decisions and I like a lot of what they've done, like the doubling, tripling down on a sunk cost here is is a real issue when you're like, we're going to go into a playoff series against a dominant team or another great West team. And it's like, how is that going to shake out? Well, we're going to be seeing a lot of Ryan Suter in high leverage moments and 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 that's a real issue. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's, uh, I, it's the Suter one is just, it's, I, I can't help but laugh at it now sometimes because, like, you look at it and you think about certain decisions that have been made and how other stuff happened. And it's like, that was, you were willing to make the priority to give $4 million a season, or not like, what is it, the exact number? It's, uh, to give, sorry, $3.65 million per season to Ryan Suter. For four years, four years, and yeah, but the no move, the no move is is the yeah, tough part there. Exactly, like it, it's that that part is just it's it's still because like every time you say like oh how do we build this stars defense? There's one thing where you go from your dream world where you're like okay we just take Ryan Suter out and we do this, but we you, there's no world where the stars take like we have to live in some reality of this. There's no way at all. That Ryan Suter is not playing, is, is not playing, is not playing consistent games and minutes for the next three years. This you got a GM who signed him to that deal. GMs, and this is something that people always forget. It's not the player who looks bad when it ages deal. It's the GM, and the GM is going to continue to play this guy because he's going to tell the coach to continue to play this guy because that justifies his purchase. He has to justify his purchase. And well, we should Ryan say, I, I, I haven't talked to Pete DeVore about this, but I imagine he probably he probably likes Ryan Suter. He's like, yeah, no, he does. I, he does. I, 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 I feel yes, very I'm happy. Him. He's, a, he's a veteran, right? Yes, I have talked to Pete DeVore about it. Okay. He likes Ryan Suter. Yes. Well, well, it's, so it's, it's uh, every coach has their blind spot, and most of them are evaluating the performance of veterans versus young players. Yes. Okay, well, let's let's close out the show here 
by uh, by talking about an article you wrote recently about the uh, the Michigan and sort of especially from yeah. a goalie perspective on how they they play it and sort of every the the chess match that is involved yeah. between shooter and goalie there. Um, and yeah, you can get into kind of the details of that and how it came together because the idea was initially born out of a conversation that we had here in the PDO. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm curious for all that. And then you, it's a good way to, for us to promote uh, EP Ringside as well on the way out because that is yeah. uh, a shared workplace for the both of us. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was something that uh, we were talking about early, early in the year, first week of January, I think, or whatever it was. We were like, okay, what are you working on? And I said like, well... Now I, I I really want to do something on goalies in the Michigan, and I used that as an account the PDO cast as an accountability spot to do it, and it was great. Um, the real element to me that really moved this story forward was um, talking to I talked to a guy named Dylan Dylan who's a goalie coach in uh, the in the Toronto area, and he reached out to me after hearing us on the PDO cast, and he actually uh, said like, "Hey, I'm gonna re-, he rented some ice." to test this to test reaction time and and with a with a with 15 with 15 year olds so it's something where the guys who are coming up and and it's a spot where it's one thing when you talk about the Michigan and you talk about it at the NHL level um the the goalies are all six foot five right like basically like like it's it's so someone reaching the top corner like the Michigan in an NHL game is so much more impressive just because the goalie is monstrous and him reaching the top corner isn't a big deal. So many times you see like these, these kids do the Michigan on like YouTube or Instagram or whatever. Right. It's like, like the goalie can't reach the crossbar anyway. Like that's like, like that's, that's not fair to the kid. Uh, But the, uh, to me, I wanted to like for this story and I was down at the, I was down at the all-star, all-star break and used it as just basically a chance to talk to a bunch of guys. I talked to, Andrea Vasilevsky, talked to Linus Olmark, talked to Connor Hellebuck, just talked to a bunch of goalies about what the threat of the Michigan does and kind of how it came to be. And there's two things that really were interesting to me about it. One is the Michigan, as much as we think of it as a flashy, like, as a flashy showmanship move, it actually came and became more prevalent in hockey because of the pendulum swing. So goalies for... Reverse VH, quick, 10-second thing. So reverse VH is the style of play where the goalie is 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 is, is basically doing a post lean. Yeah. Imagine when they when they load, load their shoulder into the post and they're staying down and everything like that. So that became super popular in the NHL and trickled down to the youth goalie camps and everything like that. And so goalies basically found a new formula to play the post, play from below, plays, um, plays behind the goal, below the goal line, everything like that. And talking to a lot of goalies, basically, it's kind of now what if you're going to lean on the post and you're going to do that and you're not going to there and you're leaving that top corner there, especially for younger guys, the Michigan just became almost a natural progression of, OK, I'll just go right to that spot. Like it's, it's something where as much as it's in the old stand up style, pucks behind the net, the goalie's standing there. It's not like you could flip it. It's not like you could do that. It's because the goalie would be standing and you would just hit him in the head. Um so it's it's kind of it's it's interesting to look at the Michigan as a and remember that it's not just showboating it's not just showmanship it is a it is a piece of the game that has come from a pendulum and become more prevalent because of how goaltending technique has changed and when it comes to when it comes to a goaltender perspective for NHL goalies it's still kind of as simple as like I'm big enough I can reach over there and 
it's still a little bit frowned upon by coaches. Like coaches still aren't um other than Tre- other than Anaheim, I don't really know a team where like a coach is giving the full green light to go do the Michigan whenever you want. Like I honestly think there's kind of that that'd be another discussion to have with head coaches of how many coaches are they don't want their. I mean, well, we saw what happened when when Canada tried to in first game of World Junior in the discourse. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I do. I, before we move on too from, yeah, I want to hammer yeah. the point of it, like yeah. the functionality of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, and there, there's a point in your piece that you had from a goalie perspective yeah. of how everyone's gotten so robotic from a safe exactly. selection yeah. perspective, where you see a certain shot, you know exactly what to do. There's no thought behind it anymore. Like it, it totally removes the cat and mouse element, which is why it's so interesting. Where not even just the Michigan, but you see a guy like Jack Hughes, which I've talked about on the show previously. Yeah. When he goes down to the goal line from from the wing and he's trying to bank it off the goalie's helmet and in, it, it's it's a new look, right? You want to present them with different things that they're not necessarily prepared for, they're not practicing for as often yeah. over the course of their training. And so the functionality of, of Michigan not only does that, but then from a, a defenseman perspective, it forces you to come down potentially and go behind the goal line, which leaves the net of the front uh, net front wide yeah. open. And so there's this whole X and O's perspective that extends beyond, wow, that looked cool and that's going to be a highlight real goal. And it forces another decision too. And one of the things that when uh, when 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 the the goalie coach I mentioned, he was talking about how he was looking at the times. And there's the time where from the player picking up the puck on his stick to either showing Michigan and maybe going to a wraparound or, or going to a wraparound and not the Michigan or whatever. It's it's a it's another data point the goalie has to process. And even if even if there's just a threat of it, you still have to process that data point. And it's. It's something like when it comes to making the right read, like, and he did this with a with a sixteen year old goalie, and they did the drill twelve times, and he, and he wanted to make sure he was avoiding fatigue factor, right? He's like, hey, you don't want to do it over and over and over again because eventually it's just going to be. And so he tried to basically they did the drill twelve times, and the the sixteen year old kid made the right read on the on the play eight of the twelve times where it was. So that's a. 33% success rate for the Michigan on there, but it also is a, it also shows it's by no means a certainty either. Right. Like, and, yeah. and, and, and we're talking about a 16 year old. We're not talking, we're, ta- we're not talking about an NHL goalie. We're not talking about someone who's even, even, even higher. So goalies are making that safe. Um, and it's, and from, from a goalie perspective, I thought, I thought Hellebuck had a really good take on this where he talked about, where he talked about, Hey, He's coached kids before, and he saw how robotic they were becoming, and mm-hmm. he kind of showed, like, you don't need to copy me, be yourself. And that that's a huge thing where it's just like, how do you beat the Michigan is you be an athlete. Like, be an yeah. athlete. You're not a robot. So Yeah, you got to read and react. Yeah. Right, yeah. Let's, uh, well, let's not give it all away, all right? People yeah, should yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, read, go, go read EP Ringside. Go subscribe to EP Ringside, read it. We'll save some meat on the bone. We'll revisit yeah. this topic. Maybe we can talk about it next yeah. time from a coach's perspective. Um, Sean, this is a blast. Thank you as always for coming on. Everyone go check out Sean's work at EV Ringside and also his Substack Shaft Shots. We will have you on again soon. Thank you to everyone for listening to the PDO cast as always streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.